So let's pray. Let's pray together and we'll, have, we'll start here. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the, your grace, for your love. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to reflect on the principles of friendship, evangelism, and gaining decisions. We pray that you would bless our conversation this morning and guide us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there's, a, there's a quote in Ecclesiastes that says, Better to go to house, the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. So Solomon says it's better to go to a funeral than to a wedding. Now, if you had your pick, which one you, would you rather get an invitation to? Right? A wedding. So, so why is Solomon, I mean, you see this melancholy, morose individual that just likes to go to these funeral dirges? Well, there's something that happens in a funeral. You, you come to a funeral, and, and there's this, this sense of a recognition that if the Lord doesn't come, one day all of us will be dead. Now, I think that that's a sobering reality. We all know intellectually that one day we're going to die. But the reality is, I think emotionally, I haven't come to that point right now because I think I'm going to get up every morning like the next morning. But there's something that happens at a funeral. There's something that happens in the moment that you think you're going to die. And I had an incident a number of years ago when I went to Africa, long story, came back to the States, and there was this flu bug going around, and I ended up going to the hospital after seven days, and I was sitting there, and the doctor had just been to Africa, and he told me, I think you have malaria. Now, I come to find out later, I had a strain of malaria called falciparum, and long story short, I'm sitting there, almost lost my life. I thought I was going to die. Because after seven days, you pretty much die. And it was day six. So I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at my parents. You got to understand Korean parents, you know what I'm saying? Korean moms. She's looking at me, and, uh, and I'm sitting there just like, you know, I'm like, I, I want to get married. You know what I'm saying? Right? I want to get married, I want to have my 2.5 children, I want to drive an SUV, and I, you know, live in the suburbs, and all this type of stuff, the American dream, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this could be over, and he's like, look, even if you make it, you can be on dialysis for the rest of your life, and liver failure, and I was like, wow, and you know, in that moment, it's amazing how you recognize what's important, right? Everything crystallizes, and it came down to two things, very simple. God and people. That's it. Right? God and people. Now, I, I used to do youth ministry for a number of years. A bunch of hormone infested, not infested. <coughs> wrong word. Infused. Infused individuals. Hormone infused individuals that didn't know elevator does not go into the top floor. You know what I'm talking about? And, and I'm sitting there and these guys like, I mean, spirituality, God, parents, kidding me? And I said, look, guys, let's say you're on a transatlantic flight. The pilot comes over the airways and says, we have a problem. Five minutes to impact. Use your time well. And I said, hey, guys, how many of you for the last five minutes of your life would watch a movie? Huh? Not one hand went up. How many of you watch <clears throat> soap opera? How many of you would play a video game? Not one hand. I said, how many of you young ladies would go to the bathroom, put on makeup, and do your hair because you want to die pretty? Huh? Not one hand went up. These are teenagers. And I said, how many of you 
would pray, every hand went up. I said, isn't that interesting? I said, how many of you would call your parents? Every hand went up. And I said, what would you tell them? They said, I love you. Wow, we all know instinctively what to do. So Blaise Pascal says this. He's learned to define life backwards and live it forward. Hmm, that sounds like Solomon to me, right? Now here's the thing. When you're, when you're going to climb a ladder, what do you do before you climb it? You make sure it's up against the right wall. Huh? Right? I mean, you don't get to the top of the ladder and you're like, oh, wrong wall. <laughs> right? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so, but we do that in life. You following me? Go through our whole lives, wrong wall. Wrong investment. Now, here's the thing. If in the end, it's all about God and souls, because look, when Jesus comes a second time, it's the real great reset. You following me? You know, all these conspiracy theories about resets and things like that, and they could be true, but, but here's the thing. It's like our financial assets suddenly become zero at the second coming. Isn't that comforting? And Clifford Goldstein wrote this fascinating piece in the Adventist Review a number of years ago. And uh, he says this. He says, why does God want us to do soul winning? Is it because he needs us? Um, Ellen White says that he could have chosen angels to do this work. Now, look, who would you rather have you give you a study on Daniel 9, Gabriel or me? <laughs> I, I won't be offended. All right? Gabriel would be like, look, let me tell you how it happened. I mean, I might mess it up. He chooses us, frail, mortal individuals. And there's several reasons, character building, the joy, but Clifford Goldstein brings out this element that because the reality at the second coming, it becomes the great reset, is that the only thing that has value that we can carry from here to there are souls. You following me? Now, I did a number of canvassing not a number of canvases. I canvassed for years, a prophetic minute. And uh, I can't, you know, I imagine one day, can you, can you imagine someone comes to me and is like, David, thank you for knocking on that door in New Jersey back in 1995. You left me a great controversy. And uh, as the final events were taking place, I read that book and I received the seal of God. And I'm here. And then a trillion years later, crisscrossing the universe, I meet that individual again. And he's like, David, isn't this amazing? Thank you. I mean, this is, this is the gift that keeps on giving. Right? I mean, Warren Buffett and his investments, I'm sorry. This is the greatest investment ever. So, so when we talk about souls, this is, the, this is where it's at. And now look, God has a divine exchange right now that's going on. There's an exchange program. You can convert your dollars into souls. Isn't that something? Huh? Well, every time you give tithe, offering, you're converting your dollars into souls. Now, one day that exchange is going to stop. But right now, we have an opportunity to do that. Now, we're talking about friendship evangelism. And I want to give you some aspects of, of what friendship evangelism is. Now, to give you a little history about myself, I went to 10 different schools. A long story. One school I went to for one semester. I won't tell you about that. But anyways, um, 
there, there's something about being dropped into a school when everyone else has been going to school together for the, for the whole life prior to that point, and you get dropped in there, and there's social dynamics involved. And when you're getting dropped in from school to school to school, it's like you start to figure something out about navigating these social dynamics. And, and look, I had to learn how to make friends, okay, the hard way, the hard way. There's an art and a science to friendship, and I'm no expert, but, but there, there is a beauty to how friendships work. Now, I want to give you some biblical background on this thing about the essential nature of friends as we continue our discussion, and, and I don't know if we even get to gaining decisions, but that's all right. Let's go to Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. And we have this fascinating story of these four friends that are bringing this paralytic to Jesus. Mark chapter 2. And uh, there's this person that's paralyzed. Let's pick it up in Mark chapter 2, verse 3. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. So how many individuals are, just to make sure you're awake this morning, uh, how many individuals are carrying this person to Jesus? Four. Interesting. Now look at this. This man is paralyzed. He can't come to Jesus by himself. You following me? He's dependent on four people to bring him to Jesus. All right, do you see a sermon em emerging here? All right, I'm not going to preach this. I can, but I'm not going to. All right, so look, look at this. They brought me a whiteboard. I love whiteboards. Okay, so here it is. Here it is. So here's Jesus. Here, here's the paralytic. You know, for some reason, I can't spell when I go on a whiteboard. I don't know why it is. Trust me, I can spell, but I don't know why it is. All right, so, so here it is. So, so the paralytic needs to come to Jesus. In this story, the only way, the connecting point between the paralytic and Jesus are what? Four friends. Do you see that? Four friends. And look at this. They literally have to carry him to Jesus. You following me? This man is physically incapacitated. Physically incapacitated. Four friends. Now, now look at the obstacles, all right? Look at the obstacles. There's a crowd. They have to navigate that. They have to tear down a roof, all right? So, so there's, there's certain things that are going through the minds of these four friends. What are some things that are going through the minds of these four friends? In other words, it's not like, oh, there's a crowd. Let, let's, let's bring into Jesus another day. You following me? In other words, there's a sense of, like, what? Urgency. You following me? This is not laissez-faire. This is not like, oh, you know, yawn. Um, sorry, brother. Right? Sorry, it just ain't happening today. No, there's a sense of urgency. Um, it's a priority. But, but notice, notice, furthermore, is that there, there's drastic measures that they're willing to take to bring this brother to Jesus. You following me? It's like, oh, the crowd's there, and they're like, mm, even in my imagination, I'm like, they're like, whew, let's, let's take a break. We can't get in. And they're like, man, how can we bring this guy to Jesus? Huh? Then they're like, oh, there's that roof. I mean, can you, can you imagine? Like, now, sometimes I'm with people that have no shame. You know what I'm talking about? Like, embarrassing stuff, man. And, and, like, I'm with them in public, and I'm like, look, when you're done with your foolishness, I'm done. I'm like, 
I'm not around you. Like, you know what I'm talking about? You don't know me. Now, now here's, here's some guys, here's some guys that are, have a certain amount of temerity. Are you following me? Boldness. Holy boldness. I mean, they're, they're willing to interrupt a sermon and tear down a roof to bring their friend to Jesus. Are you following me? All right? So, so that's the type of focus and tenacity they have. Now, I feel like when it comes to our friends, we can talk about anything but Jesus. You following me? It's like you just don't want to go there. Now, now here's the thing. It's about perspective. It's about perspective. Now, we've just gone through this pandemic, epidemic, whatever you call it, called COVID. Now, imagine if there was a, an epidemic or pandemic of Ebola. You know what Ebola is? West Africa. You, you get it? And, you, and it's highly contagious. You bleed out of every orifice. And you, and you literally bleed to death. You die. That's how you die. Okay? Now, if someone walked in here with Ebola, I mean, you'd see, like, it'd be pandemonium in here. Everyone would be heading for that exit. That's the way it works. All right? Now, imagine if there's a global pandemic, epidemic, whatever, of Ebola. And you have the vaccine. Let's say you have 8 billion doses of the vaccine. And you're like, Jan, you take the vaccine. Maybe you give it to your family. And you just go to bed. I mean, that's like, that's crazy, right? Meanwhile, everyone else is bleeding to death. I mean, if that was me, and you had the, I'd go on, you know, it's like, I'd go crazy telling everybody. You, you, you following me? I mean, I'd be like, I mean, we're talking about YouTube. I'd be like, ah, you know, it's like, okay. And, and I'd approach a brother who's dying and whatever it was, and I'd be like, look, this thing works. It's the vaccine. I mean, there'll be a level of boldness. Are you following me? And I'd make sure that I did my part so that every person on planet Earth would get that vaccine. All right? Now, here, here we're talking about, like, salvation. Salvation. And... It seems like sometimes we feel like we don't care, or there's a sense that we don't care. Now, I can expand on this more, but you get the point. You get the point. In some ways, we're the only connection for some people that are morally incapacitated. You following me? Morally incapacitated. You know people in your life right now that if they were to die today, they probably would be lost. Do you know people like that? All right. Now, now here's the thing. When, when you look at this story, when you look at this story, we, f- we pick it up here. They, they let the man down. They let the man down. In verse 5, here's the pivotal part. It says, in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith. Do, do you see this third person, plural, pronoun. Do you see this here? Right? There. It didn't say his. Are you following me? Which would be plural, singular. Singular. Uh, but, but the Bible says when Jesus, Jesus sees this. You following me? And then heals him. That's what the story says. Jesus sees this and then he heals him. Hmm? Now, now look. 
Look, there's rules in the great controversy. Did you know that? There's rules of engagement. It's kind of like the, the Geneva Convention for the great controversy. <laughs> you know what the Geneva Convention, never mind. Okay, so, so here, so, so, so one, one of the rules, one of the rules is like, this is a form of what we call authorization. Okay? In other words, there's ground rules in the, in the great controversy, and the greatest thing that you can give God to move an above, above and beyond what he would normally do is, is consent. All right? So when you give God consent, it's like God's like, okay, I got authorization. Gabriel, go. You following me? Now, now that's primary orth- authorization, and that's the most powerful thing that you can give God. But, but what this points out, now I, I believe that this included the paralytic, but, but it also, by implication, includes them. You following me? So, so this is a fascinating thing. So, so obviously the Bible points out primary authorization in terms of like his faith, all right? But in this one, we have something called secondary authorization. You following me? All right? Uh, blood sugar is not good here because you're before lunch. But, but anyways, all right. So are you following? There, there's primary authorization, but what this points out by there, because we don't believe in the historical critical method, we believe that the Bible actually is inspired by God, and so it's the historical grammatical method, which means that this stuff matters. Okay? So, so this is an important point, which has theological implications, which means that you can have faith for somebody else. Huh? In the form of intercessory prayer. Huh? Because, like, look, you ever wonder why I should pray for someone if God's going to do it anyway? You, you know what I mean? Why do this? Like, God's gonna, God loves that person more than, than why pray. But here's the reality. Is that when you pray for someone else, it's giving God legal right in the, in the eyes of the universe to move above and beyond what he would normally be able. Are you following me? Because, because like, look, in the, in the resurrection of, of Moses, Jesus is coming down to do something above and beyond what he normally does. And who's standing there? Satan. And he's like, look, this is, you have no legality here. Like, why are you doing this? And he says, Lord, rebuke you. But here's the thing. When you pray for your son or your daughter that's out of the church, and you do intercessory prayer, Jesus sees your faith. Huh? And then he's like, Gabriel, go. To mold circumstances and events in your son or daughter's life. And as he's doing that, the devil's like, you don't have authorization. And the angel says, the Lord rebuke you. Because he didn't ask for it. But his mom just did. Move out of the way. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. So in friendship evangelism, intercessory prayer. Pray, right? Because when you do that, suddenly it's legal right. Jesus sees your faith and he's like, okay, I got the clearance. I'm going to start moving, molding events. And sometimes bad things start happening because that's sometimes the only th- way that we pay attention. All right? so, so as you're with your friends, that are, you pray, you pray. And this is the most liberating, liberating thing in pastoral ministry for me. Is that, is that there's no absence in the third person of the Godhead that I need to fill. In other words, I used to think like as a pastor, like, oh man. But the most liberating thing was like, I didn't need to be the Holy Spirit. You following me? 
I need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, but I can't be the Holy Spirit. He, he's, he's got, I mean, he's got it covered. You following me? And so in our friendship evangelism, you don't have to be the Holy Spirit. All right? You don't have to be their conscience. All right? Please don't. Okay? Because then you're crossing a line. All right? There needs to be consent. But what you can do is pray to Jesus, pray to the Father in Jesus' name, and then that gives him legal right in the sight of the universe to start moving that person's life, and then you watch. You watch for the movement, and you cooperate with that. So the first thing in friendship evangelism is, is to do this, is, is to remember this, that you're the connection, but, but what you need to do is have faith give God authorization to move in a person's life that is totally incapacitated. You following me? Morally incapacitated. I, they can't even come to Jesus on their own. They need help. And what you do is you pray, give God, God authorization to move, and then stuff starts happening. All right? And you watch for that. You watch for that. I've seen miracles in my ministry in prayer. I've seen miracles. Miracles. Um, I'll be sharing a little bit more on that tonight, but or tomorrow night. I don't know what night it is right now. I'm in Guam time. So, anyways, so 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 here's the thing. <laughs> so here's the thing. This, this is an important dynamic in terms of friendship evangelism. Secondary authorization. Powerful, powerful thing that you can give God in in terms of that. So. This, this is, this is the, the part that I want to highlight as we, as we move into this section. How much time do I have? All right, not very much. That's all right. Okay, so now, now I want to talk a little bit about the practice of, of, of friendship evangelism. And uh, I see I, I have some of my students here from Washdale's College. So guys, so this will be a rerun for you. Lord bless you. All right, so anyways, okay. So, so there's something called EQ. EQ or emotional intelligence, otherwise known. Um, what they're finding is that, is that uh, if, if you have a high EQ, and uh, Neil Nedley just did an excellent presentation on this a couple weeks ago, um, they've indicated that you will actually go farther in life with a higher EQ than IQ. Hmm? And uh, Neil Nedley brought out, if, if you have a choice of which one to be high in, you should choose EQ. Now, the nice thing about EQ, it can be developed. It can be developed. And, and, and they, did a, they did a study, there was a number of years ago, they did a study on, on uh, what was called the termites, where an individual got a select group of individuals with IQs above 140. And they, it, was a, it was a prolonged study over like a 40, 50 year span where they got these children with incredible IQs, and they followed them through their life, and they were called the termites. In other words, these were the individuals that were going to change the world, become Nobel laureates, become scientists, become these great thinkers, Albert Einstein, you name it. And so they followed them over the course of like 40, 50 years, and, and you know what they found? They found that you would have come to a, a similar result had you just gone on the street and rounded up 40 people and followed them for 40 years. In other words, it was all over the place. It was all over the place. Some of those individuals with high IQs were janitors. I mean, with all due respect to janitors, you know what I'm talking about, okay? They weren't at Harvard or Princeton as a professor. So, so the, they were like, why? Why? Malcolm Gladwell brings out this interesting, 
narrative in which he talks about two individuals that were equally brilliant, both IQs that were off the charts. One individual, he, um, he, uh, he was at Harvard, one of these Ivy League schools, and he, he almost kills somebody, okay, because he had a temper. Almost kills him. I think he almost stabbed him or something like that. So, so he goes into the dean's office, and he comes out with this little slap on the wrist. Okay, now I'm not promoting what he did, but comes out with a little slap on the wrist. There's another guy that, equally brilliant, that, that can't convince his teacher to give him time off because his mother is deathly ill. Okay? And he tracks these two people. The one individual that couldn't convince his teacher to give him time off ends up dropping out of college and becoming a lumberjack. The other individual goes on after this, and he goes before a committee, and he convinces them that he's their guy, and he becomes the head of the Manhattan Project. Huh? You know what that is, right? The atom bomb. Okay, so, so sorry. Anyways, okay, so, 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 so I'm not espousing what they did, but there was something about this individual. So he had high IQ and EQ, but there was something about this individual in which he was able to connect with people in a way to persuade them. You following me? And Malcolm Gladwell brings out that in life, that is actually the more essential element that can be a determiner for success long-term. Mm -hmm. And he, he happened to have both of those, those things there. Now, when it comes to EQ, I'm just going to note a few elements of EQ. And this is important for friendship, because when, it's, when you talk about friendship, there's, there's something called character ethic, and then there's personality ethic. And there's been this whole discussion about it. In, in other words, you, you cannot be a friend if you're just on personality ethic, because people can see your, through your fakeness. You following me? If you're just trying techniques, people are like, ah, disingenuous. So you need to start with you first in terms of character. There needs to be a genuineness about you, transparency. Because if it's just about a technique, which is what Dale Carnegie's book was, or is, How to Win Friends and Influence People, it's more personality ethic. I'm not saying that there aren't some good things in there. But if that's it, that's not the way to have friends long term. You following me? Because people will say, like, look, this is just a little bit too canned. But it needs to be character ethic. And, and EQ... EQ is an important part of that. Now, with EQ, there's certain elements of EQ. There's self-awareness. It starts with self-awareness. Um, I know highly intelligent people that have very little self-awareness. You following me? Self-awareness is good. All right? Because, because self-awareness helps you to recognize your strengths and your weaknesses. That's an important characteristic to have. You ever, you ever talk to people that they're never wrong? All right? Do you want to be their friend? You, you following me? I mean, I, yeah, I mean <laughs> no, no. I mean, I've come to situations where someone has hurt me, and I go to them, and, uh, and it's like this backhanded apology. In the end, I come away thinking like, oh, in the end, it was, it was like, it was my fault that person slapped me. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? It's like, if I wasn't born, I, they wouldn't have slapped me. <laughs> And I'm just like, wow, what a twisted alternative. All right, well, a twisted reality. Or, 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 
or a person that doesn't have self-awareness never apologizes. They never take ownership for their role in the situation. All right? Do you want to be a friend with, like, with someone like that? Okay. It, it, or, or it's an apology. All right? the, the best way to apologize, and this has to do with self-awareness, is, is get rid of the fine print. It can't be like a prescription from pharma. You know? Or, or you, you ever uh, watch, these, watch these commercials from big pharma companies? It's like, oh, this will do all these things. And at the end, it's like, you know, you, 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 may, get, you may get kidney failure, liver failure, you know, go mentally insane and die. And I'm just like, so, so it can't, an apology can't be like that. Okay? It's like, the best way to apologize to someone is be like, look, I'm sorry, no excuses. I own that. And that helps you in the healing process. The worst thing you can do is apologize to someone and say, I'm sorry, but. Okay? Because the word but just reverses everything you've just done. You know, when you get a letter from somebody that you've just applied for, a position, and it's like, David, we appreciate your skills and, 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 your, and your education and everything that you've done. You know, we think you'll make a great impact in the world, but do you need to read the rest of the letter? No, you didn't get the job. Okay? So an apology can't be like that. All right? So self-awareness. This comes with the recognition of your strengths and weaknesses. And this is important in friendship. No one wants to be a, a friend of somebody that thinks they're always right, has only recognizes their strengths, doesn't recognize their liabilities. No, no one wants to hang around with that person. You following me? So it starts with us. It starts with us. And look, in the end, why is it that we lost self-awareness from a theological perspective? It's sin. It's sin. Because the loss of self-awareness is really a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism for shame. Because look, look, as, as soon as sin happened in the Garden of Eden, what happened? The lights went out, you following me? And they knew they were naked, and what did they do? They covered themselves. They covered them. So it's really a coping mechanism because we can't really look at ourselves because it's painful. It's painful. And look, and this is why when it comes to friendship evangelism, we need to have a level of wholeness. We need to go to the cross because that's the safest place on earth to look at the ugliness of who we are because it's safe. It's the most ugly place and yet the most beautiful place. And that's why self-awareness is a healthy sense of our unworthiness before God. That's the reality. You look at Jesus, and that's the tension of the reality. Isaiah chapter 6, he's looking at, at God, and he's like, woe is me. But, but that is the, that's not the focus. It's the byproduct of that tension and that reality. So as you look at Jesus, not that self is ever the focus, but as you look at Jesus, there's a healthy sense of our unworthiness. And here, here's the reality. Laodicea is the quintessential example of a loss of self-awareness. Hmm? What, what does it say? It, it, says, it says, like, you think that you're rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing, and you do not know. What's that? 
loss of self-awareness, that you are blind, miserable, and naked. In other words, I mean, if I was going around town totally naked, and I thought I was dressed in a suit, where would they put me? Okay? I mean, I, they put me in a mental institution. Okay, so in, in other words, the person that's lost total self-awareness is insane. Is insane. So, so, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Self-awareness, self-awareness from a biblical standpoint comes from coming to the cross and that healthy tension of who we are, that humility. All right? And the thing is, a person that has a high level of self-awareness admits when they're wrong, admits their insufficiency, admits their weaknesses, apologizes wholeheartedly for the ways they've hurt people. And here's the thing. I learned something very quickly in ministry. Is <laughs> like when you're a minister and, and a member hurts you or, or whatever it is, but, but the member owns 90% of it, but you own 10%, apologize for your 10% without any expectation for their 90%. I remember by an associate pastor, this, this member was something else. I mean, she went after him and then he responded in kind. And I said, look, brother, you need to go apologize. And he said, no way. I'm not going to apologize. I said, welcome to ministry. <laughs> okay, welcome to ministry. So, so he had to go apologize for his end without even bringing up her end. And, that, and that's, the part, that's the part we need to recognize. All right? So, so self-awareness is, is an important part of it. Now, now look, self-awareness, the other part of EQ is something called self-regulation. see how this color does. Okay, self-regulation. Okay. <clears throat> or, or as other people put it, self-management. Now, now look, you can't just be like, look, I'm upset. I'm really in tune with my feelings. I'm in tune with my strengths and weaknesses. And then you're like, Ugh! you know, in, in other words, in other words, you can't just be aware of your emotional state. You need to be able to manage that. No one wants some blithering, in-tune individual that's like really in-tune with their emotions but has no self-control. Right? No one wants to be that friend. All right? so, so here's the thing. It's being aware of your emotional state. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm, you know, I'm feeling these emotions of shame, but also to have self-regulation, to have self-regulation to regulate those emotions and control those emotions so that it does not affect your behavior. Important attribute. So you need to be aware and then regulate. Now, now here's the thing. When, when, you, when you look at the sanctuary, it's interesting because you have self-awareness in the courtyard at the cross, right? But then there's something in the holy place experience when the lamb stands in which one of the fruit of the spirit is what? Temperance, self-control, okay? So, so in reality, emotional intelligence is basically saying, look, we need to be saved, <laughs> all right? So, 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 so it comes out here, it comes out here, self-awareness, Self-regulation and self-management is, is something that is essential for, for emotional intelligence. Now, look, there are certain times, and that's why I journal. I journal. I've kept a journal off and on since 1995. Wow. And uh, it's a Word document. And, and when I open the Word document up, it's like, you know, and, and I have to scroll all the way down. Um, but, but here's the thing, is that 
is that journaling helps you with self-awareness and self-regulation. It does. Because as you write your thoughts down, writing is thinking, by the way. Okay? As you write your thoughts down, you're able to catch yourself. You're able to catch yourself. And, and here's the thing. Abraham Lincoln had an incredible high amount of self-awareness and self-regulation. That's what made him great. Uh, and there's something that I learned from Lincoln. They, they found Doris Goodwin has a fascinating book on, on Lincoln and, and uh, Team of Rivals and Leadership in Turbulent Times. And she writes that a practice that Lincoln did was, and they found it in the archives, Lincoln archives, they, they found this, this scathing letter that he wrote to one of his generals during the Civil War. And it was unsigned and never sent. Unsigned and never sent. And uh, I took those lessons from, from Lincoln. All right? It, the worst thing you can do is, is lose this. And, and we live in this time of instant whatever. You ever, you ever sent an email or sent a text? You're like, oh, that was a bad idea. All right? And so, so when you're in that moment, in that moment, there are times when I'm like <clears throat> jet lagged. Don't come around me right now. So anyways, okay. Uh, so, you know, jet lagged whatever, tired, exhausted, and, and I say to myself, no big decisions right now, okay? Because I have self-awareness. I'm like, I I'm, I'm in this whatever. I'm not going to make any major decisions right now. And there's times when I'm like, I want to react and write this email or this text, and I'm like, and, I'm like, and, and, uh, and I have emails in my journal that I never sent, and I praise God for that. All right, I let it sit, and I'm like, look, self-awareness, self-regulation. I'm like, I'm really upset right now. I'm really tired. I'm not in my best mental state. And most likely, I'm going to regret this. And as much as I want to send it, I'm going to let it sit, let it simmer for a few days, and then I come back after I've eaten breakfast, and I'm not hangry. And then uh, I'm, I, I've had, you know what I'm talking about? I've had eight, eight hours of sleep, three square meals, and I sit down, and I'm in my right mind and right body, and I'm like, praise God, I didn't send that. Okay, so that's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to do. Self-awareness, self-regulation. How much time do I have? All right. Okay, so, so here we go. I got 15 minutes. The other one is... The other one is, I'm not even getting a chance to cover all these. I just lost my pen. Okay, so the other one is, <clears throat> when it comes to EQ, so this is inward. This is, this is about you. Then from here, from the standpoint of a wholeness in Christ, of self-awareness, self-regulation, like, look, if you're holding Jesus and you let him heal you and you're able to regulate your emotions, people will want to be your friend. Okay? Because there's a whole lot of people that are out of control out there. Okay? It's like, they'll be like, here's an individual that's, that's even keel, okay? They'll be like, there's something about them. So, so you, you need to start with you and God, and then, and then it goes outward. The other one is, it goes out here, is, is uh, social skills and, and relationship management, All right, so let's talk about these. Social, so everyone clear on this? Self-awareness, self-regulation, social skills, relationship management. Let me talk about social skills. All right, so you start inward, then social skills. It's like, look, I canvassed for a number of years, and there's something I learned very quickly. Just watch people. 
Okay, there's a lot that you can pick up by watching people. Body language. Um, here's just a free tip. We won't charge you extra for this. Is that, is that you, you're ever in a conversation with somebody and you wonder when's the time, you know, if they want to go? You following me? And here's the trick. Here's the tip. The feet don't lie. Okay, the feet don't lie. So watch the feet. Watch the feet. If the feet are pointed toward you, you're good. Okay? But once it's like, I'm exaggerating, all right? Once it's like this, where are their feet? They want to go. They might be like, oh, yeah, 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 you know? But the feet are like, they want to go. And so I was talking to this one individual. I was talking with this one individual. And we're talking, we're talking, we have a good conversation. And, uh, and, and then I saw the feet turn. I said, oh, this person wants to go. And so I tied it off, and I could just sense a relief. And they were like, I just released them. I just released. And so here's the thing, is that Ellen White indicates that, that Jesus would watch the countenances of the people as, as he spoke. And so, and so watch people. Watch people. The, there, there's certain cues that you can pick up. And uh, anyways, I finished this book on, on the limbic system. Um, there's something fascinating. I can go on and on about this. I love this stuff. But uh, there, there, there's, uh, you know, when, when someone does a lip compression, it's universal. It's like a lip compression. I won't tell you what that means. But anyways, you know, when they do a lip compression, I remember Hudson, we were, you know, it was my, my five-year-old son, we, we were in this situation, and, and I was watching him, and he did the lip compression. And I said, oh, wow. I said, it is so universal, man. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. So, so there's, there's, these things, there's these things of like these social cues that you can pick up. And, and here's the thing. Because of the smartphone, they're finding that young people are not able to pick up social cues. Huh? Because they're all texting you know what I mean? They're, they're not even to pick up these nuances of, of, of the social dynamic because it's an art. It's an art to, to working with people is that, is that you watch people. You watch people. I, I remember I was de- <laughs> dealing with this disciplinary issue and uh, I walk into this room where these individuals are involved with nonsense <clears throat> and uh, I walk in there and I look at this guy's eyes and, and, and his pupils are like dilating. <laughs> I said, "Oh man, something's up," you know, and uh, and and so and so these these cues that you pick up, uh, and 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 as you watch people, as you watch the countenance, as as you manage these relationships, that is when you watch for, in a biblical sense, you watch for conviction. Huh? okay, so you don't have to be the Holy Spirit. You watch for conviction, okay? And, and you cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, so this is where friendship evangelism comes, comes into this other realm. Now, now, now here's the thing. I got 10 minutes. Here's the thing. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to evangelism, there's something called the evangelism funnel. Oh, this thing's dead. Okay, there's something called the evangelism funnel, and I'm not an artist, so bear with me here. Okay, so here's a funnel. Imagine that it's a funnel anyway. Okay, so here. Here's the funnel. 
at the top of the funnel is things like friendship evangelism, stop smoking seminars, health seminars, community outreach, all those types of things get people in. At the bottom of the funnel, in order to become a member, in this case, a baptized member of the church, everyone has to pass through a certain thing. What is that? It's either Bible studies or, or prophecy seminar, which is basically a, a public study. All right? So, so you need to pass through here. But in order to become a member, they need to make a decision. Okay? So, so there needs to be a decision. Now, now here's the thing, is that I found that, that it's easy to be here. It's easy, relatively, to get people in here. But you ever known people that have been Bible studies? I know people like this. They've been on, like, their fifth Bible study, and they've gone through Amazing Facts. It is written, Voice of Prophecy, and, and your own, you know what I mean? They're, going, they're just going through, and it's like, they, they, you know, they, they just love to hang out, but they, but they never come here. They never come here. And, 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 and they never make a decision. They never make a decision. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is that, is that there's an art to gaining decisions. All right? There's an art to gaining decisions. And, and, and one of the ways is like you watch for the conviction. You watch for the conviction. The Bible says that, that human beings are like trees. And the Holy Spirit, according to John chapter 3, is like the, the wind. All right? And, and here's the analogy. You can't see the wind, but you can see its effects. Okay? So as you're watching people, as you're involved in this friendship evangelism, if the tree shakes, you know there's conviction. You following me? So, so you're watching body language. You're watching indications. And you're, 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 you're doing your part to give the Bible study. And as you're doing that, you're watching for conviction. Now, if there's no conviction, there's no reason to go in for a decision and make an appeal. You following me? But if you see the conviction, you make the appeal. Now, here's the thing. I used to be scared to death making appeals. Okay? Scared to death of making appeals, whether private or public. And, and the thing is, for a pastor, the, the most terrifying thing for me was altar call appeals. Because what's the fear? Nobody's, Nobody's going to come up. It's like, please come up, somebody, so you don't leave me up here by myself. I mean, it's just like, and uh, Lord have mercy on my soul. And so, so I would just do these sermons. I just close up, and, you know, and, and, and I praise God for the hand, you know, raised, and I stand up, and, you know, those things. Those are great. But, but like, the clincher, you know, decisions is like, is like, you come on up. You come on up. And, and here's what I found. Here's what I found. When I'm preaching, or when you're in a Bible study, and you see the conviction, all right? You, you ever been in a sermon where it's like the conviction is palpable? It's like you can, you can sense it, all right? You can see it in their eyes, all right? The worst thing you can do is not make an appeal. In other words, the Holy Spirit just teed it up for you. He's like, here, you know? You don't have to be the Holy Spirit, but you need to go. He's just teed it up for you. He's like, make the appeal. Make the appeal. And you're like, ah. Okay? And here's the thing. Ellen White says that if, if they don't make a decision when the conviction is there, the conviction dies away. So you've got to strike while the iron is hot. Okay? 
You got to strike while the iron is hot. Now, some people exhibit, exhibit conviction in different ways. I don't have time to get into that. Some people get upset. Some people get angry. Some people are happy, sad, whatever it is. All right? so, so there's different indicators of it. And, and, and the thing is, especially when they get upset, the tendency is to shy away. But actually, you need to go in. You need to go in. Now, um, maybe tonight I'll be able to tell you the story a little bit more. But, but I, I remember I was called in. I was eating my potluck at one of the churches I was at, and uh, my associate pastor comes to me, and I could tell by the look in his eyes that, that this was serious. He's like, Dave, we've got to go. And I was like, all right. So I left my half-eaten food, went into his office, and I sat down, and there was a student there uh, from communist China that we had been working with, long story. So we sit there, and we've been working with, and she, had, she, was, she was coming to church, and I sat down, and, and I noticed in the corner of her eye, a tear came down, okay? And I was like, oh, the tree's shaking. You following me? I said, the tree is shaking. So I said, okay, it's time for the appeal. You following me? So I sat down there, and, and her name was Lou Yang. And I said, Lou, do you sense God convicting you? So, so you want to help them with the awareness, what's going on, okay? It's like, do you sense the Holy Spirit convicting your heart right now? And then she's like, yeah. It's like, do you sense the Holy Spirit calling you to make a decision? Yeah. Do you want to kneel down with me right now and make a commitment to give your life to Jesus Christ? She says, yeah. We knelt down right there, and, and she made a decision. Two weeks later, she was baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Okay, all glory goes to God. All right, so, so that's the cooperative element in this. And, and here's the thing. When you're making appeals, because here's the thing. You get them into the funnel, you can be friends all you want. They never get into Bible studies. I mean, it's like, you know, but you can give them Bible studies, but they need to make decisions. All right, so you need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And here's what I found with appeals and, and gaining decisions. If you're tentative, they're tentative. Okay? And, and even though you may not always call, call for an altar call appeal, um, it's the same principle. And here's what I found is like, is like if, if you're like shaky and like, oh, I don't know, please make a decision. It's like, it, it, you know, because it, it's going to require a certain amount of like confidence. You need to expect them to make a decision. Now, I did an appeal number <laughs> a few months ago in a church and, uh, and uh, I, I wasn't planning on making this appeal, but I, went, I go through the sermon and it's like the conviction is palpable, right? I look out there and I'm like, Oh, the Holy Spirit's teed it up, and he's like, David, I mean, I could, he was like, David, you do this appeal, you better do this appeal, and it better be, it better be an altar call. And I'm like, okay, so I go in, and I'm like, I go in, and I'm like, you know, and I make the appeal, make it specific, and I'm like, if, the, if that's your desire, I want you to come down right here to the front. And in that moment, I looked out, and I was like, oh, they haven't done this for years. You following me? This is not a church in which they do altar. It was like, you know, European with all due respect. You know what I'm saying? It's like you barely get an amen, what, you know, or, you know, and it was just like, it was just like that. And it's like, they're like, you, it's like, dear, it's like, ooh. you know what I mean? It's like, ooh. And, and in that moment, the tendency is like, Ah, just kidding. Ah, raise your hand. You know, uh, that, that's, that's the kind of, you know. Uh, 
Ooh, uh, Lord bless you. Um, amen, potluck. Okay, um, but uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like I saw that. I saw the body language. I said, oh, I said, this is going to take some work. But in that moment, all right, and I wasn't always like this. I doubled down. I doubled down. And I said something like, who cares what other people think? In other words, I addressed the elephant in the room. This is between you and God. Your eternal salvation on the, is on the line. You might die today. Okay? And it's just later. And uh, glory be to God, 75% of that congregation came forward. You know what I mean? So the Spirit's moving, but when it comes time for the appeal, you, you, it, that's our part. It's like, and, and, it, and it's the same principle whether you're in a personal Bible study with someone one-on-one. It comes down, and it's like, and you call for that decision. You call for it, and you do it with boldness because you see the Spirit moving, and your part is to call for the decision. And here's a tip. If you're in a personal Bible study, if you just called for a decision, or in any Bible study, at the end of that prayer, don't, don't keep talking about the weather, about the stock market. Leave. Okay, because you kill it. You kill it by, by all this trivial stuff. You, you know, if, if you want to talk about things, do it on the front end. But after that study, and, and, and when, especially when you've been called for a decision, right, and they've made that decision, you just say, you know what? I want, I want this to be the last thing that we linger on. All right? The Spirit has spoken here. So after we pray, we're just going to let that be. All right? So, so that's, that's the key. 12.14. Got a lot more to share, but I think you got the general gist of it in terms of this. What a wonderful work we have, amen. amen. I mean, it's a privilege. It's a privilege, and and as we go out and we're social to save, because that's ultimately what this is about, and cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we can pray that the Lord continues to use us as He used those four friends to bring them to Jesus, to bring the people to Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace, for your love. Help us. Thank you that you've chosen us when you could have chosen angels so that we can have joy, share of your kingdom. And Lord, lead us to people every single day that are searching for you. Help us to be watchful for conviction. Oh Lord, help us to have self-awareness and self-regulation because we've been at the cross and broken and, and been filled with your spirit every day. Bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.